Hello, everybody. Welcome to Z Prime on the Grid, our show about issues concerning the energy industry. I am your host, Dylan Lockwood. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Aaron Hardick. How are you doing today, Aaron? Dylan, I'm fantastic. I just got back from a very much needed escape into the Rocky Mountains for a few days. I unplugged, but I'm ready to get back into it. Ready to get back on the grid. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm ready to do. <laughs> well, we have a great guest today to bring you back into the swing of things, Aaron. He is a legal and policy advisor to Illinois Commerce Commissioner Sadzi Oliva, where he provides counsel on regulatory authority and complex matters related to electricity, water, and gas utilities, as well as the telecommunications and transportation industries. Gerardo Delgado, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Well, we're happy to have you. Uh, Gerardo, you're a self-styled energy attorney. So what, what drew you to this space when you were going through law school? Did, did you get an energy when you were in law school or did you get into it later? No, I got into it later. I wish I had gotten into it in law school. But honestly, what, what drew me into this space and really has cemented my commitment to energy is due to the opportunities, you know, the opportunity to make an impact because electricity and other utilities are necessities and critical to our lives, right? Decisions and initiatives that address these utilities have a direct impact in people's lives. So it's been rewarding in that aspect. And, you know, in my opinion, an environment with technology is one that constantly advances. And with the advancement, opportunities to take part of change and expanding your expertise is really afforded. Is that what you're referring to, Gerardo, when you say you wish you got into energy in law school, as in you wish you were exposed to these challenges and working on them kind of earlier than you than you ended up? Yes. And I think that for me, when I left or I was going through law school and I was looking for my next opportunity, those have always been kind of a foundational component to whatever role I took on is the ability to make impact and be part of change and or, you know, an evolving industry. And I saw, you know, through my engagement in the short period of time that I've been in this role, which has been two years, you get best of both worlds. And had I known this in law school or even in college, I would have been able to design my career in a way or my education in a way that would have been an easier transition or or transition right away as opposed to at this point where I am in my career. But again, it's something that I'm very lucky and um, fortunate to have encountered and found. You're actually fortunate to be in a position where you're working for a state that is pretty aggressive in some of um, its energy or grid modernization goals. So Illinois was ranked number two in GridWise Alliance's Grid Modernization Index. How is the work done by some of the policymakers that you're working with and the utilities in your state making Illinois such a strong leader in modernization? Because I think that these states that are the, the leaders in this area are the ones that are attracting new talent and people who are passionate about these goals. So how, how has that been for you? Well, I'll say that through this role as a legal and policy advisor for commissioner, I have a front row seat to this engagement and develop it happening in the state and also nationally. And I've had the privilege to engage with many of these stakeholders and um, you know leaders in this industry through many different forums to get an understand what's happening across the country. But to answer your question regarding Illinois, I mean, there's no doubt. Illinois has been a leader in grid modernization. And obviously, it's due to tremendous work and commitment that Illinois' legislators, regulators, utilities, and stakeholders like consumer advocates, national and local environmental organizations, 
and private ancillary service providers that collectively have achieved and made and afforded this for Illinois. Um, but, you know, in my opinion, and I only speak for myself today as a good lawyer states and has that disclaimer, I speak for no one other than myself, and these are my opinions. I believe there have been a couple critical factors that honestly have made Illinois such a strong leader in modernization. First, I'd say Illinois has recognized the need to improve aging infrastructure and harden the power system. And secondly, which I believe has been the critical point, there's an understanding of the value and the ability for technology to not only satisfy an immediate need, but also generate long-term benefits, right? So it's that two-prong, uh, I would say, foundation that has led to great success. And, and it's done so by testing technologies and other tools and methods, whether through pilots and other modes, and then taking those learnings among other considerations to, to support and enact forward-thinking laws. And, you know, we kind of discussed this at ETS. You know, the Illinois Energy Infrastructure Modernization Act truly kicked off this trend of investment out of the grid. And through the Future Energy Jobs Act, which was, you know, enacted a couple of years ago, has built on this foundation and taken it to another level. And for those who follow Illinois, I know there's a lot of legislation right now that's being designed to continue and evolve the needle when it comes to how Illinois' power system will continue to evolve for the future. Can you just explain a little bit what those, you just mentioned two recent laws, can you explain what those did and why they were transformative? Certainly. So the Illinois Energy Infrastructure Modernization Act was a law in which um, truly kind of dedicated actual investment in hardening the grid. So there was, you know, a lot of investment made with the iron poles, wires, and those critical foundational infrastructure that exists on the system that, you know, needed to happen to ensure resilience and, again, also kind of prepared the system for the future. But also a star among the legislation is the investment in AMI smart meters, right? And it's through that ability that people from a pilot that originally originated to understand the role in which smart meters can have and, and its benefits that kind of motivated legislators and other interested stakeholders to understand what needs to happen to strategically plan for the next, you know, for the future power system. Because if we're going to make these investments, let's be smart. Again, it's, I, I feel that that's the way in which, you know, the legislators, the regulators, and, you know, these other um, interested stakeholders understood the value and the ability for technology to not only satisfy the need, but also generate long-term benefits. And then recently, the Future Energy Jobs Act, I mean, this is the, the uh, legislation that is going to create a significant influx of renewable energy um, and other, you know, DER in Illinois. I mean, it's going to not only avail for, you know, wind and solar, but also access to wind and solar through community solar. And one of the, again, in, in impactful and strategic ways through that economic development opportunities for the communities and citizens of Illinois. And in that same vein, actually, I, I remember we had a had an episode about six months back about a big microgrid project that happened in, in Champaign, Illinois, that was the first utility of its size to receive uh, peer certification, which is a big deal. And so I think it's evident that Illinois does have a the right environment to have these kind of uh, sustainable projects going forward. So that's... It's really good that that's happening. Do you have any other uh, like specific projects or stories that uh, you want to you'd like to make note of that that helped you uh, achieve this this rating? Again, I 
have to commend our leaders in the space who are making this happen. And I think one of the uh, unique aspects that I have seen and observed about Illinois is it's is the stakeholders working together. Um, because it's just even from a practical standpoint, right? There's no if you have everyone kind of doing their own thing and not coming together. I mean, it's the ability to really create effective solutions and um, is challenging. And then we're not talking about you know projects that you know are small scale necessarily. And there's a certain cost to that. So I think there's a lot of value um, and success when people work together and so that you consider just like any kind of decision making and for informed decision making you need to consider all the factors and when you have a spectrum of different or not to say different opinions but just opinions period you're going to achieve a much more holistic result moving into one of the main things i wanted to talk about the three of us were all on a workshop together at ETS 19. We tried to make it fun. There were there were post-its and everything. There's actually a video of it on our YouTube page, uh, Energy Thought Summit. You can find it there. And I kind of wanted to continue on that conversation in a more narrow or in a in a smaller venue, so to speak. So we talked. We made a we made a brief reference about falling into energy, which was kicked off by honestly a podcast episode uh, before ETS 18. I'm just making all kinds of references to previous work today. But we've never really given it a full episode's worth of attention. And what actually it means to become an energy professional and what it, and what the next generation of energy professionals will look like. So starting at that point of kind of falling into energy, because you said you said yourself that like you hadn't even really considered it until after you got out of law school. And I think and Aaron and I both have similar stories, I think, that we've told on this podcast before. Uh, so Aaron, since that since that first episode we did way back when, we've sort we have a bit more information. We did sort of an ad hoc survey at ETS eighteen. Uh, what what would what did we find out about the scope of the industry in that sense? Well, we found out something that I don't think is going to necessarily surprise too many people, which is that the majority of energy professionals, at least ones that have attended ETS in the past would say that they fell into energy. I think the stat from our survey was about 63% of professionals say they, they fell into energy. When we asked that question in the workshop, and I mean, you guys remember, there's a significant amount of people who said that they also fell into energy. That's typically what happens when you kind of ask someone how they got into the industry. But the other really interesting thing, one of the most interesting data points that also came from that survey was we asked this question, when did you learn that a career in energy or electricity could be a real possibility for you? And 50% said, after I entered the workforce. So I think that's very telling of why so many people say they fall into energy. People aren't pursuing energy kind of in the early stages of their career. They're getting into it by other means because they took a job in maybe sustainability and then they ended up in energy. Or it could be something as obscure as they worked for maybe an accounting firm that happened to be on an energy client and then after they were done being an accountant, they decided that, oh, energy is cool. They got some exposure doing that through uh, this other line of work and so that's how they've ended up in, in energy. But it's this idea that jobs in the energy and electricity sector aren't being put on 
display maybe that's not the right wording but they're they're not being put out there enough for younger people to see the opportunities and i think that's one of our biggest takeaways from the survey well i think you know to that point first of all i think the question in invites a lot of discussion and people get excited about that question and those who get to should go and actually view the video on youtube um from this workshop because you actually see a lot of audience engagement which was really exciting to hear and again we were talking about cross-sectional you know generation um engagement you know and connectivity between us and it was nice to see that, you know, those leaders who and veterans in the industry, relatively speaking, right, among many different, you know, uh, experience backgrounds, enjoyed sharing their story and really kind of create a synergy among all of us in that room that day. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Gerardo. Um, and I think that's one of the areas that we can focus more on in terms of the things that we have that are similar to each other. Why across generations has it been so hard to attract talent to the energy industry? And when I say that, I, I mean, there are very many talented energy professionals that have done a fantastic job building the electrical grid. But a lot of those professionals have technical skills or are very skilled in certain areas. You know, a lot of engineers, policymakers. But we also ask this question in the survey that said, if you have completed a bachelor's degree, what degree did you earn? And we listed out the options of power engineering, electrical engineering, other engineering, whether that be mechanical or civil. And then we also asked computer science or, or similar IT related. 70% of people said they got a degree in something other than those areas. So that also shows that these traditional avenues for exposing people to the energy industry through the education system, having them focus on being engineers, being scientists, that's focused on a very limited group of people. You, We need to be looking at other degrees in other areas um, for people to bring value to the energy industry. And that's something that we're seeing uh, come about really in this digital transformation because we're having to look at how technology and people interact with each other and that always doesn't always come down to numbers and equations and formulas you have to think more abstractly about some of these things so it's just this very interesting time for us to really look at this one problem that's been pretty consistent and then how do we start to think about using value differently in the industry? Well, just from like a high level opinion, I think as you stated, we're in this unique paradigm right now because the generations before us have been growing consistently, right? And I think especially with the last, you know, with, with the boomers, so to speak, they filled the gap or whatever employment needs that there was or existed at the time. And people were not necessarily proactive or thinking ahead that, well, we have a generation and a significant generation that is going to retire and how we fill that gap. So I don't, I don't think that necessarily people were thinking ahead as to what would happen after a generation would leave at such significant numbers um, once they would retire. So 
you know, we're in this unique aspect. But I think it's a it's a learning lesson here, right? Because I believe people are in the next time are through, you know, planning as the gener- as the industry evolves is making sure that we're not part of another situation where we're kind of having to address this gap. I mean, there always will be a gap in employment, but I think this gap is very unique because it's significant. And then with respect to this industry, there's definitive or necessary institutional knowledge that is necessary to transfer on to the next uh, generation. And if this is not done soon, um, you know, that is also going to be an effect that we'll have to deal with. Dreader, that's a very interesting point, and I do think it's very critical to uh, the situation that we're looking at. Energy professionals are t- retiring earlier and faster than they used to as well, and I do think that's largely attributed to the digital transformation. At what point in your career, how late in your career, do you start to consider learning a complete new skill set? Or do you just retire? So that's kind of a lot of the challenges that are they're being faced. And then you talk about passing on that experiential knowledge. Um, how do you get that to the younger generation? Because it's important and necessary, but there is that, that big gap right now. So speaking, speaking of that gap and ensuring that we have this information, this necessary information and experience have a role in developing the next generation of energy professionals, how can leaders in the industry make energy a space more professionals want to get into from the outset? Uh, How do you get those people, Aaron was talking about, who aren't necessarily engineers or coders, though we need engineers and coders, but like the people with interesting marketing ideas or the people with interesting, you know, urban planning ideas that would maybe not get into energy specifically without a little push? So thinking about that question, I see there's two, like almost two different demographics, right? Or two different opportunities. First being, how can you attract the current available workforce into this industry, right? And the second being, how can you be proactive and ensure that when the current workforce that's coming into our industry, there's another generation ready to come in and, and take, not take their jobs, but replace them when the time comes. So, again, it's almost, again, identifying what those barriers are, because as you mentioned, like for me, I came into this industry post-law school, but not right out of law school. It was, I had worked for, you know, as a lawyer, and I happened to come into the space because I was looking to make a change in my career. Um, So how do you, again, I'm one of those people who have already a career established in a different area, and how can you, you know, bring them in and utilize their skill set in this space? And again, I just want to echo what Aaron said as the barriers being one is, and one I believe is easily to overcome is education on the industry and awareness of opportunities. And that's easy to solve. And that just takes more communication um, among different modes of, uh, of channels that we have now, especially in this current climate of, of communication with social media, et cetera. And the second barrier I think we need to overcome is the amount of experience that I've recently noticed that many jobs require in the space. Again, recognizing that there's a group of people who have had a career already and to kind of transition to the space, the expectation that they are, the expectation of their experience to be similar to someone who would, you know, began this industry right away at the onset of their career, I think is not the right expectation to to have. But nonetheless, to expand on, you know, what 
how we can overcome these barriers and attract, you know, the next generation of talent. I think our, you know, our veterans in the industry, uh, and I don't say veterans in a sense of age, but just, you know, as far as their uh, exposure and development of the career in this industry, um, they need to find young professionals to partner with and really mentor. And, you know, and I say really mentor because I think they need to, you know, again, commit themselves to developing that professional. It's, this is not an easy, you know, industry to navigate. And to your point that was addressed before is that it's very technical and nuanced in some regards. And, and in order to overcome that, I think some, you have to dedicate time and, and that expertise on how to do so. And like you mentioned, the technical complexities and just kind of the unseen complexities of the electrical grid have traditionally have traditionally kept utilities from really communicating a lot of what's going on, kind of not really giving you that peek behind the curtain is what a lot of people like to say. But there's a lot of extra value in doing that these days because if you can appropriately, I guess, expose or communicate some of the challenges that you're having within your organization to the surrounding community, then it gives people something to to work towards, something to solve. It incentivizes the community to be more involved in solving those challenges and figuring out the right balance between what to communicate and how to communicate it certainly is a challenge. But if utilities can figure that out, then I think it really does a good job at motivating more people to come to the industry because they finally have a good understanding of how critical these issues are to our communities. I didn't really become super passionate about in energy until I had been working in the industry for about a year, a year and a half. And I had that moment where I was just like, holy moly, these things drastically impact the way we live our lives. And we need more people to be aware of this and more people bringing different perspectives to these challenges. But I do understand the hesitancy of, you know, talking about these things um, because they can be very difficult to understand and sometimes complex. And it's a hard message to communicate sometimes. Here's, here's two things that I see as far as communication with just with consumers and the communities, right? First of all, I believe it is a shared responsibility. I do not believe it is the responsibility of solely of the utilities. Um, I think we all have a interest in the space and and a duty to educate um, our communities uh, among our various roles because we all play an intricate part, right? So first, it's identifying that we do have a shared responsibility to educate the community on what the utility space is. And second, I think what's happened in this um, in this era, because I think it's across generations, is the change of expectation. And I think that's why the lack of communication partly existed, because I don't think the average consumer, the average um, you know, customer of a utility was very much interested in learning about this space. But that demographic has has changed. I think customers now have an expectation to understand what is happening, what is going on, and what what all the stakeholders and all the key players in this arena are doing in this space. 
and now it's then it behooves everybody to figure out a way to communicate that and communicate it in a way that's understandable, relatable. And I think once you continue to have that conversation, then it will invite further interest to understand those complexities and also identifying how to to explain those complex subject matter. I agree that you took took the words out of my mouth because I, I was very much thinking that we've talked so much about how the relationship between the customer and the utility is is changing from just like a bill to more of some type of partner in in terms of energy independence. But you can also use that increased knowledge level of the of your average customer on what a utility what it is that a utility does that's an advantage because now people are are more aware and because of that you can use those avenues uh, that you're using for your customer outreach potentially to uh, also let people know that there are there's career careers in these fields for for people who aren't just and who don't want who aren't engineers coders or truck drivers like there's all sorts of things that we that we need people to be doing. Those are potential avenues for for reaching those people. I think intellectual curiosity right now on every, in all different levels. I mean, we've seen it through. I mean, I'm not introducing politics into this conversation today, but I'm just saying, like, look at what's happening in this country right now. There is a change and movement and towards and how we engage every area of our lives. And this, I think, is obviously fostered by intellectual curiosity and secondly a need to be part of decisions that are happening and just like anything else i I, i've said this before in many different regards if you inform people what your plan is what you want to do how you see things you will create support if they believe if who your audience is or your community is believes in what you are setting out to do. So this doesn't have to be a one way development or one track development when it comes to the grid modernization or the development of our power system in this country. If you engage everyone, you engage your communities, there is a population that wants to be part of it. But if you don't build the opportunity or the access to that information, it will be much more difficult where it could be a much smoother process if we're holistically and unitedly working together. I have a, I have a question for, for both of you in regards to the next generation of energy workers. As, as Of course, as the industry evolves, the workforce will too. So what what trends in energy right now will be particularly appealing to the upcoming generation of millennial and Gen Z workers? Well, I'll point out that not only the millennials, I think, are driving this, but I, also there is our current generation uh, of boomers is also figuring out how to address this is the need for more diversity in this industry. I mean, it's, it's something that um, is needed um, and is happening. So whether it's through just mere awareness, I think that is an area that's quickly developing. And, and again, drawing the need through different forms, having that conversation, identifying the, the multiple methods that various states and industries are encouraging, fostering more diversity within industries that haven't been diverse before. I mean, for instance, I'm uh, participating in the design of a uh, policy summit by an organization of it's called Hispanics and Energy, and you know it's designing a program that invites those conversations in difficult and critical areas 
in the industry that requires not only Hispanic inclusion, but just overall more people of color, women participation and recognition. I do think, yeah, diverse perspectives on um, these challenges are incredibly critical. And understanding how electricity is influencing other areas of our society is also going to be very interesting because then you can get, you know, these people who have, you know, traditionally maybe had a background in the arts. You start to get perspectives on how designing the way people interact with energy, it creates a better system for us. So the diversity of perspectives certainly creates more value, especially in the energy industry that is expanding in other ways, whether that be the electrification of transportation or the um, kind of mobilization of, of healthcare and, and other things. How are diverse perspectives going to help solve some of these newer challenges that we're seeing? I think that is a very good area of opportunity for us. Yeah, I'll add to that. I mean, it is. It's that it's that diversity of um, opinion uh, and perspectives that is, again, facilitate informed decision-making. Because when you have different perspectives and experiences working towards achieving a goal together, you're going to avail yourself to greater opportunities for potential solutions that otherwise would not have been presented, but for that diverse uh, pool of perspectives. Again, and again, we're talking about electricity here, right? I mean, electricity is, and other utilities are a necessity and critical to our lives. So we're not talking about necessarily a commodity that which we can do without, and not that, and not a commodity that not everyone pays for. We all contribute and need electricity and pay into our the system, right? So, or for the system, for this power system. So we all have a voice in here, and I think if you in again, holistically in a united fashion, bring in a variety of perspectives, we're going to be much more positioned for to achieve success and design a system that is going to be available to all. And and I'll also say maybe not, this is a perfect, you know, segue to highlight the tremendous work that you guys are doing at Z Prime uh, with Jason and, and your team is that you dedicate, you know, uh, a significant portion of your program this year to your summit to equity and energy. And that's, you know, again, that is something that needs to be discussed because this is the system and how we're developing. It has to benefit everybody. And unless you have the, everyone at the, and, you know, at the table and being part of that solution driven, you know, environment, it's, it, we're going to miss opportunities and, and, opportunities that could be costly. And we're certainly not there yet. And we are seeing, you know, more um, women in executive positions, more people with diverse ethnic backgrounds in executive positions. However, it's still pretty low in the industry. So there's room for improvement in diversifying some of the big decision makers. But also, I think you really have to start with that culture of saying that you're willing to do this. And it's a priority to bring in diverse perspectives, because that's how it trickles down into the rest of the organizations and really changes the mindset of the industry. Because we know that there is a, a certain way of thinking traditionally associated with energy companies. And you have to start to, you know, really change the whole mindset and culture of 
of those of those companies in order to yeah make better decisions take into account diverse perspectives so that like you said Gerardo you can have improved decision making and i think that um diversity is really you know a, an area that i think millennials uh you know this next upcoming rising generation is you know is driving and i can and i have to say too is the you know the previous generations are in the workforce right now that are also facilitating this and making this happen. It's, it's an interesting time, and I know I don't want to go into too much detail because perhaps this invites an opportunity for another podcast on diversity in the industry. But I believe Illinois is doing a great job on how to explore the different methods to increase diversity in this industry, and they recognize the need for it, and they're actively working towards doing so. Whether it's, you know, among all the different sectors in this space, from, you know, the utilities to the agencies. I mean, I am part of one of the most diverse agencies, if not the most diverse agency in the nation. I'm Right now, we're in my woman minority, um, excuse me, woman majority commission. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity and ways in which this can continue to grow and having this conversation and sharing best practices is going to be the way in which we continue to effectuate change. First of all, that is amazing that it's a, a women majority uh, commission. That's, that's outstanding. But one other thing I did want to bring up on this topic, which came about in our workshop is we had at least two or three um, attendees in our workshops say that they had been in um, either been in a sort of rotational program with any utility or that they were implementing this type of rotational program so that people who are interested in coming into utility are working in different business areas to get a better understanding of how challenges affect the whole organization. So that comes back to breaking down that siloed way of thinking. So diversification of perspectives within the business because you have a better understanding of how the business unit work together as well. I think that contributes to this idea of, of diversifying perspectives on challenges in the industry. Right. And I think it's also identifying, you said, having that conversation, sharing the value that it's generated. Um, because, I mean, there's it, there's studies show exactly if companies that are diverse are much more profitable and their capacity for truly excelling in, in an industry those are one of the factors that truly affect that. I think tying what we talked about earlier with how how can we make energy a space more professionals want to get into, I think one thing that is really helpful for this upcoming generation and generations, I guess, is that sense of inclusion that that you know no matter really what your background uh you can you can have a viable career here something that i know many millennials are hungry for is viable long-term careers um and it's not it's not just because it's not just because millennials care about climate change and energy is one of the you know one of the major battlefronts on that it's not just because millennials have tend to have a sense of of fairness that uh, the energy equity programs are helping with, but mainly just because, but also just because uh, you can you can 
work here and make whatever kind of difference you want. If if what you want is a is a good business opportunity, well, because of what Aaron was talking about earlier, where energy is making its way into so many different things and the grid is modernizing, there are so many opportunities for young entrepreneurs to be able to to create solutions that to, that they can work with, you know, that they can sell the utilities that they can work with, uh, and then, you know, for the people who want to work work within work within the system to you know make it to make it more equitable, to make it more even just to make it run better. Like there's there's so much there's so many opportunities for 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 a for a generation that's hungry for opportunities, and I think that. Uh, what you guys are just talking about is is a is is a huge is a huge part of it that that level that level of inclusion broadcasting that 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 level of inclusion that these opportunities are here is probably the best is the best way that you can go about uh reeling in the reeling in them youngins yeah well that and I think you said it, the key word there is broadcasting and broadcasting what is it it's awareness it truly is awareness and we have and it sometimes those to do that is a little bit difficult and it's time consuming. It's not something that necessarily is part of every day job responsibilities or duties, because obviously we have to, we have a, a, a responsibility um, to perform in a certain way for our employers. So that means that that invites the need to do work outside of traditional work hours. It, I just wanted to mention too, you know, and create awareness is again, reaching out to those organizations, our alma maters, to do that. I mean, I, last year I hosted a panel, um, an energy panel at my law school. I went back and I put together key leaders and from a law firm, from a utility, from a, um, a renewable energy company, and uh, just to share their insight in the industry and how the students in the law school can not only identify potential opportunities, but how to prepare for them. So again, we have to think outside the box in the way, not only how we approach, you know, um, the design of our future power system and how we engage with it, but also how we engage with each other. So what, what would you say now to someone, to someone in college, maybe, maybe law school, that person who's about to become a poli sci graduate or who's, Trying to figure out what they're about, what they're going to do with their law degree. What would you What would you say to them about the potential for working in energy? I would love to share with them the very reasons, and I and this is, I do share with them the very reasons I uh, love this industry, and it's the ability to make an impact and be part of an innovative space. And again, by just those are two critical areas that sometimes there isn't job opportunities or career opportunities that are allowed to kind of receive the benefit of those two components. And I think people seek for it. And sometimes, you know, you get one or the other, but there's, I have no doubt. And I am confident to say that in this space, you could create impact and be part of innovation. I love that, Gerardo. I actually recently likened energy uh, to the MBA. I think that the freeing of the electron creates so many opportunities to impact our communities, our lives, that there's just there's just so many opportunities. Electricity is to society what Mike Brown is to the Golden State Warriors. It's maybe maybe unseen, but very, very critical to the success of 
our communities and to the success of that dynasty. As soon as younger people start to identify these opportunities, like you said, Gerardo, but also prepare for them, that's what's going to get people excited. And that's what's going to make people say, hey, this is something that I'm really passionate about and going to continue to pursue. Um, And I think just kind of articulating that, articulating the potential of impact, um, I think that aligns really well with a lot of what motivates younger people today. And that's living a a purpose-driven, value-driven life they're working in an environment that aligns with some of those values. So just articulating the potential to really make a big impact, it, it's one of the best ways, I think, to just kind of start that conversation. And in preparation, as you mentioned, again, in having these discussions, it's also understanding what is, you know, the next generation of the workforce coming into this space? What do they want to do? What is it that interests them? And I think believe by having that conversation, although it may not be the same interest that the listener is hearing, but an individual in the space can easily say, you know, that interest, that skill set really lends itself well in this area in the industry. Because again, I believe there's so many facets to energy, the energy industry, that there is certainly, you know, many and diverse specializations and interests that will be satisfied in this space. I mean, one area, which I'm not a programmer, uh, I'm not a data scientist, but an area that I think the next generation has a huge opportunity and to provide significant value that we are still trying to solve in this space is the benefit of artificial intelligence. There needs to, mm-hmm. We're gathering all this data, but we need to use it to our, our benefit, and our benefit being to allow us to plan in a much more tailored and um, specific fashion. Absolutely. Those were... Those are really salient points. Although I will say, Aaron, you did get me stewing about the trailblazers again. (laughs) You can't get zero rebounds in overtime and hope to win that game, you (laughs) morons. Anyway, one last thing on the the power of the energy career. Gerardo, what's next for you? Where where will we be seeing your star rise next? Oh, wow. Um, Well, you know, it's... I'm going to continue building relationships in this industry. I have been uh, fortunate enough to engage with really, really smart people um, who are, have been humble enough to share their expertise with me. And I attribute the success that I've achieved um, you know, with, and re, due to them and, and because of them um, to not only share their expertise, their time and support. Um, I mean, I've been... I've been very lucky, uh, you know, with my commissioner, having a commissioner who, you know, has been incredibly, um, you know, rewo- has rewarded me in a way with her time and her mentorship and support that I am uh, certainly very thankful and appreciative. And the friendships that I've developed um, along my career, who, again, who are also contributing to my success and helping me design my future. Um, as I highlighted, you know, I'm part of an organization, uh, HIE. Um, we're getting ready to roll out our policy session, our policy summit on, you know, diversity in September. And honestly, next, also, I'm exploring what my next role will be. Um, it's definitely going to be the utility industry. I don't know exactly what that will be, but it's one which I can certainly leverage my legal and regulatory experience to not only me exceed you know, my next employer's expectation, but provide value. So I'm excited about the future. 
Well, thank you. So, so are we. Gerardo, thank you so much for being on and talking some more on this very important issue that will define the future of this space. So I appreciate it. Well, thank you for the invitation. I greatly enjoyed it. Aaron, thanks for coming on and millennialing it up with us. Thank you, Dylan. Sorry to have triggered you about the Trailblazers. Uh, they could have had Kawhi Leonard, too, but they they didn't. Maybe anyway. that invites another vacation to the mountain. <laughs> Maybe the three of us. Yeah. <laughs> when the, when the, <laughs> on the when grid the, goes off the grid. That's exactly. it. <laughs> and then when the Bucks get trashed by the Warriors and four games in the finals, I'll just jump into the Pacific. It will solidify how important I'm saying Mike Brown is to the to the Warriors. It will. Mike Brown is the electricity of the Warriors. Uh, you can find our research and media at etsinsights.com. Uh, you can find us on social media at dylockwood, at Aaron underscore Hardick, at zprime underscore research. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel uh, at Energy Thought Summit. We are continuing to upload videos from ETS-19, including one-on-one interviews that weren't on stage, so be sure to check that out. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time.